Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. You guys can sing it with me. I'm dreaming of an 80-degree Christmas. It's probably what we're going to get. You know that, too. You better, yeah? That's right. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, hey, here in Myrtle Beach, we get all the seasons in one week. That's right. So you got today, maybe a little bit tonight, and then we're back up again into the 70s. All right. Hey, Merry Christmas to everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I'm so glad you came out to our second service this morning. Um, We're finishing up our Christmas series that we've called A Proper Response, or The Proper Response to the Perfect Gift. And these symbols around the wall uh, were kind of representative of each one. Last Sunday was, you know, pouring out your heart to God being able to tell him how you feel, that that is an act of worship. Just to be able to tell him, to say to him, because the minute you speak to someone that way, you're saying, you can do something about my heart. And that is an act of like worship. And, and so we talked about that last week. We talked about lifting our hands. And I really challenged you men. Uh, men kind of, you know, you know, it's like, come on guys, you know, we can do this thing. And we talked about what it means to lift our hands in worship and also bringing our gifts uh, to God in worship. And this all came out of the scripture in Matthew, the second chapter, verses two through or one through two. And today I'm going to include verse 11 in this as we close it out. Um, I just, you know, I am so grateful that uh, we do have an opportunity to refocus each year. Uh, as we move into Christmas and that we don't bulldoze through it, that we can stop and we can meditate on and remember the mystery that God came. And this is something to think about. God came in a little baby. Now think about this. Eternal God, creator, humbles himself to come to earth, still 100% God, but to be 100% man into a frail, small child to be taken care of by parents in a very hostile situation in the land and to live his life out perfectly and go to a brutal death, that same child that we celebrate at Christmas time, so that you and I can be reconciled to our Creator. I mean, this is like the beginning for all of us. Christmas is the beginning for our hope to be We've been estranged from God for so long, and Christmas comes along and says there is hope. There's hope to get back to your Creator. So I'm glad we get a chance to put the brakes on a little bit, at least when we gather in our churches, and to say, let's don't forget the main thing here. And so uh, let me just read the scripture, and I'm going to pray, and we'll jump into this. This is over in Matthew, again, second chapter, verses 1, 2, and then I'll jump down to verse 11. It'll be on the screens, uh, or if you have your Bible and, uh, or your app, you can open it up there too. Plus, there is a handout, and in the handout is a fill-in that uh, you have. You should have been handed a pen as well. I always do a fill-in each week, and all the scripture I use is on that fill-in for you to take with you. 
And uh, you, could, you could take that out and follow along as well. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Down to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Father, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we have the opportunity to gather. I need your help this morning. Give me the gift of teaching. Uh, Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard this uh, through the series, the Magi. Maybe uh, we know them as the wise men. The Magi, Persian Uh, astronomers, astrologers, wise men, maybe of this religion called Zoroastrianism. The big point is this. They were not Jewish people, and they were not people of that faith in that area where Jesus was. But yet they had a hunger to know who this Christ coming was. And they had actually, evidently, obviously heard the story from the Jewish prophets from hundreds of years before that indeed a king had come. And everything was working at this moment in time for all of those prophecies to come together. And there was even a star that was there to lead them on their way. 900 miles of travel, lots of planning, lots of expense, probably six, eight weeks of travel to get there. A lot of worry. And they made it. And as we've seen the story throughout the last month, they came for one reason and one reason only. And when they had fulfilled that reason... Their purpose for being there, the story ends for them. They just get up and we don't hear anything else about them. They leave. And their one purpose in finding this Christ child was to worship him. One thing. All of that expense. All of that all of that putting together of the camels and the families. It was probably a large entourage that went with them. Not just three. We don't know how many there were. But they all made their way there. They laid their gifts. They worshipped him. And as we saw this morning, they bowed down to him. Then they get up and they go home. They played their part. They've done their part. And so today we're going to talk about bowing down. And then that's something we don't do in our culture much of, is it? Kneeling down. Now, that's not foreign in the Bible. Let me, let me, uh, let me say that it's through there many times in the Scripture. But uh, we, don't, we just don't... Uh, We don't do that very often. And think about this too. Jesus, all of our pictures probably in our home and and, uh, our little sets and all have Jesus in like a feeding trough. And we have the, you know, the wise men around him. And that's not the way it is. He's two years old here. Any of you ever had a toddler? You ever had a two-year-old? You ever been a two-year-old? Do you remember that? Yeah, the freedom. Remember the freedom? Uh, yeah, a two-year-old, and, and, and when I read the story, I see the, the Magi, the wise men from Persia, and, you know, it says they followed the star. It made me think that with Jesus being a toddler to the star, kind of go like this, like, whoa, he's over here, now he's over there. Yeah, and then they finally, <laughs> they finally make it, they finally make it to where Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus are, and, uh, but he was a toddler, and, and they came down in such humility uh, to bow before a toddler. 
just because they believed what the prophecies said. They believed that there was enough evidence in the air, enough evidence in the culture at that time to come and believe that he was indeed the one that had been prophesied. So, so much going on here. It's so exciting. Christmas is like, it's like really exciting when God comes to earth as man. And, uh, and so get the setting there. And again, we don't, we, don't, we don't bow very much. Probably the only times we've ever bowed is like uh, if, if you're a little old school and you asked your wife to marry you, maybe you got down on one knee and you did this and you got, went, please, don't say no, don't say no. You know, don't embarrass me this way, don't do it. You know, and I mean, there is something about the posture, right? I mean, when you humble yourself, Damn, and that might have been the last time you did that in your marriage. But, you know, you, you, you wanted her to respond, so you, you got down and you, and you asked. And, and then that, that in our culture is not highly unusual. And then, you know, there's the famous Tebowing effect of, uh, of kneeling. Uh, Tim Tebow kind of made it popular. Did you know he trademarked the term Tebowing? It is actually a part of the English language now. And, and so that's T-Boeing. So, you know, if you do that, you know, you can say, you know, you're probably going to have to pay something to Tim and give him a little royalty check or something. Yeah. And all. But we, you know, we see that at games and, and the people picked on him a lot for doing that and, and stuff. But we just don't have the habit of kneeling and bowing in this American culture. And I wonder why that is. Um, in Psalms 95, just one of many scriptures... Uh, In verses 6 and 7, we read this. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. How beautiful is that? Come, let us bow down in worship. And this whole thing that we've been looking at in Matthew 2 is about coming, as the Magi did, and worshiping. And this... This word worship is mentioned 170 times in the Old Testament. This way of bowing down and worshiping him. And it means to bow down, to prostrate, prostrate, not prostate, prostrate, <laughs> prostrate oneself. One's a verb, or, you know, adjective, one's a noun, right? And so uh, to prostrate oneself as an act of respect before a superior being. That's what the, what the word means. Now, maybe we need a prostrate gland so we would bow more often to God. But why isn't bowing and kneeling before God a more common occurrence in our culture? I mean, could it be that we as Americans especially, maybe, or we as just independent individuals, we have never met anyone any holier than we are ourselves? Maybe we, we don't, you know, we just never come in contact with anyone or anything that is so wholly other that it would suddenly grab us to the point where we would drop our knees in adoration and respect before them. Could it be that? Could it be a lack of our humility? Like I said, I mean, how often do we do this? How often do we pray and bow our knee before God? Let's just do an inventory right now. How many times did you do it this week? How many times did we, we? It's just not much of a part of our culture. But something happens to us. Some of you that did bow and ask your wife to marry you, remember what you felt in that moment. 
Some of us have bowed at times when we've been humbled or we found ourselves in a place of need and we're like, God, I really need you right now. I really need you right now. And, and so I'm going to prostrate myself. I'm going to get low before you. You know, the ancients had this term of God. They would say that he is holy other. He's holy other. Moses, who had a pretty good relationship with God, right? Wouldn't you say Moses, you know, he developed a friendship. Colin said he was, you know, really good friend. That's what he said about himself. He said, I'm really a good friend of God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he developed this friendship. And there was a point in the story with him where he got uh, so... I'd say close with God that over in the 33rd chapter of Exodus, he finally asked God this. He says, now, after all of this convert, conversing and the relationship that we have, now, God, would you show me your glory? Like you've talked to me through the burning bush. You've talked to me this way and you've talked to me that way. Now, will you let me, will you let me see your holiness, your glory? And here's what God said to him and what happened. In verse 18 of Exodus 33. I will cause all my goodness. Don't you like that as a definition for for glory? Goodness. God's glory is his goodness. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. So what happens? He tells Moses, you go hide in the cleft of the rock. There's this space in the rock. And he says, put your face in there. And when I come by, my glory comes by. My goodness comes by. Just take a little peek as I've gone on by. And that's what he got to see. And it, it changed his life. Because God is so holy other. So holy and separate and different than we are. That to come in contact with him causes an instant falling down. An instant death of ourselves because we are not that holy. (laughs) But now here's the good news. It's Christmas time. Here's the good news. And God has put his holiness and his goodness on display for everyone in Jesus Christ. Now, his glory and his goodness has come as a little child, lived a perfect life, put up high in the air on a cross for the world to see and for the price to be paid to say, here is how much my goodness, how deep and how rich my goodness is for you, that I would die for you. So take a good look, because when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. You have seen his heart and you have seen his holiness and you have seen his glory. And to see that should do something to us. You know, the opposite, what do you think the opposite of holy is or opposite of holiness is? Here's what the opposite of holy is. Common. Common. If we treat something that is holy other as common, we have defaced it. You don't have to step on it. You just have to treat it as everyday anything. And so when God comes along, he is holy other, pure and righteous. And uh, to come into contact with him, uh, he doesn't tell us, you have to bow down. But it seems like he says, here's who I am. And if you can see who I am, you will voluntarily 
fall before me. You will bow the knee. You will kneel. And so uh, you've got in your handout, there's a fill-in. I put this in every week. You should have a pen as well. There's three fill-ins this morning. Um, You know, God was so holy as you're taking the uh, fill-in out. God is so holy that uh, in the Old Testament when the priest would go into the temple to do the sacrifice once a year, they would tie a rope around that priest's leg. And uh, I've heard other stories where they would put a bell on the end of his robe where they could hear it moving. And uh, he would go in to do the sacrifice and all the other priests would sit outside and if the rope quit moving, they knew he was struck dead by the holiness and glory of God. They would pull him out. How'd you like to be the next one going in? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like next, all right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you see these Levites just kind of backing up. Uh, you know, because the holiness of God was so pure and so righteous that no sin could go before him. You had to be purified, cleansed, and perfect, basically, inside to stand before a holy and righteous God. And that's just how holy other he is. And then Jesus comes. I'm so glad I live in this period of time because if I had lived in the Old Testament, I wouldn't have made it till I was 14. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I live in this dispensation of grace and mercy. And, and though it was there too for them at that time, I'm glad I live now in <laughs> the time of Jesus. And so uh, your first feeling is this. Some of us, some of us should come to Christ and should come to Jesus and kneel in pursuit. Kneel in pursuit of God. Kneel in pursuit of God. Over in Mark ten seventeen, Jesus had preached and, and he was starting on his way to leave. And all of a sudden, this man runs up to him. Runs up to him. And let, well, let, me just, let me just read this to you. Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And the man goes, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a wealthy guy. If it's Christmas time, you can't get him a gift. You know, he's got it. (laughs) Whatever it is, he's got. He's got probably everything in his life that most of us would think would make us happy. Except one thing. Except one thing. He does not know how to get his soul right for eternity. He's concerned about what happens when I'm gone. Now, it doesn't say he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. We don't know anything about him except that he's a a wealthy guy. And as you read the story, you find out that he's a good guy, that he obeys the commandments. So he's a good guy. He's a wealthy guy, successful guy and all. But there's something going on in his life where he pursues Jesus. In such a way that he goes, I just have got to know, do you have the answer? Do you have it? How do I get my life straight? Kneeling in pursuit. And some of us, look, you don't have to have all the answers to pursue God. I mean, this is a great story because you, you may be going, I don't know if Jesus is really, you know, the son of God, savior or not. I don't know. Well, why don't you kneel in pursuit and find out? What, what you got to lose? What do you have to lose? Like this young, wealthy guy here. We assume he's young, but young guy that comes up to Jesus. Because all we know is he had this hole. And he had this vacuum in his heart. And he wanted to know how to get his soul right. So that eternity, when it came for him, he would be okay. 
Why not kneel? Kneel before God in pursuit of the truth. Just go and say, you say, Jesus, do you have the answer? Do you have it? Because I, I don't have it right now. And I know there's a hole deep inside of me. There's a vacuum inside of me. And I want to know. I, I want to know if everything's okay between me and you. I do. I want to know. I want to know. I don't know if you're the way to God. I don't know. But I'm here. I'm willing to humble myself. I'm willing to kneel. And I'm willing to call on you. You know, that's a beautiful place to be. Because the Bible says if you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. I think about... Examples like Cornelius in the book of Acts, a Roman centurion soldier who humbled himself and called for Peter to come tell him about Jesus. There were people that God was dealing with and they knew things weren't right, but they didn't quite understand the connection yet. What a great place to be to kneel in pursuit of God and say, come and prove yourself to me. Let me see if you're who you say you are, Jesus. Let me see. That's motivation. Some of us may not need to kneel in pursuit because we feel like we're already followers of Christ. But we may need to do this second one. And that is we may need to kneel in repentance. Kneel in repentance. We don't use that word very much in our culture. Kind of like bowing and kneeling as well. But repentance is if you're going this way or if you're doing this, it means turn and go that way. It means you've been missing the mark. You've been missing it, missing it, missing it, doing it this way. Turn and go a different direction. Kneel in repentance. Over in Luke in the fifth chapter, there's a wonderful story where Jesus is preaching and there's some fishermen uh, there with two boats and they've been out fishing and they've come in. It's been a rough day. If you fish, you know you can go out and uh, they call it fishing, you know, because you're looking for fish. (laughs) Sometimes you don't find them. And they didn't find any. And so they're in. They're cleaning their nets up. Jesus is preaching to the crowd on the beach. They're listening to him. He goes over to Peter, Simon Peter, as he was known then. And he says, hey, put me out in the boat. And let's push out a little ways. Because Jesus, being a very smart man, knows that if he gets out over the water in this bay where they were, that his voice is going to hit the water, then hit the beach and be magnified. So he's got a natural PA system going on here. So take me, Peter, take me out over the water and let me preach to the people so they can hear me a little more clear. So Jesus is preaching and he keeps preaching and they're listening and finally he brings his sermon to a close. It does come to a close. And uh, brings it to a close and he turns to Simon Peter and he goes, let's go fishing. Push out. Let's go fishing. We're out here. Let's do it. And Peter, being the wonderful fisherman that he is and friend of Jesus, goes, man, I've been fishing all morning, and there is no fish to be caught. None. But, Jesus, but this is what he says in his, man, this is a whole other sermon. But he says, but because you say so, I'll do it. But because you say so, Jesus will push out. So they push out. Some of you know the story, right? How it goes. Throws the net over the side. And what happens? Can't even pull it in. And so Simon Peter is yelling at his friends, get the other boat, come on out, help us pull the net in. But how does Peter respond to this situation? Look in Luke 5 and 8. He says, when Simon Peter saw this, that is that when Jesus said push out and he caught so many fish, he fell at Jesus' knees 
and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He realized he was in the presence of someone very special. Sometimes we're smiling on the outside. Everything is great. But inside, you know, we've got this sense of hurt. We've got this sense of pain. Or maybe here at Christmas time, we are reminded of the people we've hurt. Because we're going to run into them at Christmas time. <laughs> Parties, families. You know, you're out and about and there's people that you've said some things possibly that you wish you could take back. You wish you don't want to run into them and you feel so bad about it. But there you are. You're in their midst and you're just going, God, man, I wish I could take that back. Kneel. Go to God and kneel in repentance and go, God, you know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said this. I'm going to quit saying things this way. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go that way. Some of us come in carrying heavy burdens of what the Bible calls besetting sins. That's recurring sins in our life that we just cannot seem to get under control. They keep harassing us. They kind of became another appendage to our bodies. They've been a part of our life for so long now. They're just friends. Bad friends. And so we give up and we, we come into a Christmas service and we can't release ourselves to worship because we have this burden, this sack that we're carrying over our shoulder that we won't put down or we feel like we can't let loose of in our fingers. But once we see God, once we see Jesus for who he is, something strikes us. We hit the floor and we go... I'm not worthy to be here. Look at me. That's what Peter saw. He's like, I'm a sinner. I am a such a sinner. Do you know the closer you get to God, the more you see your own sin? <laughs> the, the purer he is in your eyes and the more holy he is in your eyes, the more, more just and perfect that he is, the more you see you aren't. The more you see, I need help. I need, I need someone to come and do something for me. Help me. And that was where Peter was. He fell on his face. But look at what Jesus does. Just look at what he says. Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. But you know what? Jesus never turns away a repentant sinner. Ever. He never turns away someone who recognizes their own sin and says, God... I am not holy enough. Look at what's inside of me. Jesus never turns you away. In Luke 5.10, here's how Jesus responds. Don't be afraid. This is what comes out of kneeling in repentance from Christ. Don't be afraid. And then he says this. From now on, you will fish for people. In other words, not only am I going to forgive you, but I am going to give you a new purpose for your life. Not only do you get the sins washed out of your life so that you don't have to fear standing before God any longer, but when you repent, he also takes you from this direction and he goes, okay, let's go this direction. I mean, he doesn't just leave you there. He's like, you've got purpose now. Come on and follow me. Let's go. And it all starts with bowing the knee in repentance. Like Peter did once he saw who Jesus was. And you know what changed Peter's life, did it not? We're in here this morning because of Peter. And he was a part of the whole church being birthed. Because he responded and he went this way in repentance and he responded this way. Some of us need to kneel in repentance this morning. Whether it's our own sins or we're burdened down with how we failed and how we failed one another or a family member. We can bring it 
to God and we can say, forgive me. Forgive me, God. Now give me direction. I'm ready to go. And God will say to you this morning through Jesus, his son, here at Christmas time, don't fear. Don't fear. Fear not. That's, that's a word. Those two words are said a lot in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Fear not. Fear not. But he doesn't just leave you there. That's pretty good. It's like, get up. Let's go. Here's your purpose now. Let's go. Let's go. So some of us, we need to kneel in pursuit. And just to need to give, just say, all right, prove yourself. I'm kneeling before you. Show me, God, if you're the one. If you're really the one, show me, Jesus. Show me. Some of us need to kneel in repentance. And thirdly, some of us need to kneel in surrender. Kneel in surrender. I'm sorry if this, uh, this offends you, but I'm just being honest. But I like MMA fights. <laughs> you know what that is? That's where two guys or two girls get in the ring and beat the living daylights out of each other. But there are some rules. I mean, just you have to forgive me. See, that you have to go back to forgiving me now from the last one. But, but you know, I've been fo- I followed it a long time. And there's this family from Brazil, the Gracies, uh, Renzo Gracie. Hoist Gracie, I used to watch these guys as much as I could watch them fighting and all. And, and uh, you know, they would, you have what you call in, in fighting a tap out. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. You can, you can get out of the pain at any time by tapping out. Renzo, I don't think, ever tapped out. Broken arms, broken legs, just not going to do it. You know, got too much in the game, too much pride, not going to tap out, not going to do it. Just not going to tap out. When I read this scripture in Luke twenty two forty one through 42... This is where Jesus, right before he's arrested, he's trying to get his buddies to pray with him. You know that story, right? They can't stay awake. They don't understand the importance of the moment. And they think it's just another prayer meeting. They don't realize this is the last time before his crucifixion they get to pray with him. So they keep falling asleep. And Jesus goes, it says, a stone's throw away, not very far, where he begins to pour his heart out to his father because he knows what's coming. He has never been separated from God the Father ever in eternity. And he is about to suffer our sins totally separated from the presence of his Father. And that is weighing down on him as it should. And in Luke twenty-two forty-one through 42, we read, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, if there's any other way to do it, God, please, now's the time to tell me. Now is the time to tell me. But just as quick as he says that, he taps out. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He surrenders. He surrenders to God, the Father's will. Facing all that he's facing. And some of us. We just will not tap out. We won't surrender. We're hurting. We keep hitting the same walls over and over and over again. And we won't tap out. We're just like, I can't deal with this. You know, pushing through and nobody's going to. And all we got to do, and God keeps coming to us and coming to us. And we will not surrender. Tap out. Some of us today need to tap out. Kneel and tap out to God and surrender to God. Here's the deal. Scripture is clear that 
God is not as much right now commanding us to kneel before him as he is saying, if you just get a glimpse of how much I care for you and who I am, you will kneel. You will want to. You will kneel in pursuit because you know there's something there. You'll kneel in repentance because you know that I can pour out my forgiveness and dispel the fear and give you purpose in life. And you know if you'll surrender, if you'll kneel and surrender, then my will will be fulfilled in your life. Because we either kneel now or we kneel later. Philippians, the second chapter, verses 8 through 11. We read these words. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God expects that if we get to know him, who he is, we will bow down voluntarily and say to him, you are Lord, you are Lord. Whether it's kneeling in pursuit, whether it's kneeling in repentance, or kneeling in surrender. I think we want to take a little time this morning. And I know we got some hard floors here, you know. We don't have, we're kind of, a, you know, we're not the traditional church. We don't have kneeling benches, things like that. But we can bow. We could take a few moments. And, and if any of these three are affecting you, or if you look at any of these three and you go, that's me, that's me, Tim. Then you can kneel, you can bow before him today and say, prove yourself to me, God. I want to see you. Prove yourself to me. Or God, I'm sorry, I am a sinful man. Forgive me. Or Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life. I give my life to you. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.